Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion on motoring news. This is episode 259 on Tuesday, the 4th of June, 2019. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And this week we'll be talking about how if you stop making something, then production numbers will be less. We'll also be chatting about how some feel congestion, even in the middle of the night, is a sign of vibrancy and life in the city. And we say a fond farewell and a big thank you to someone who has been instrumental in shaping a car company over recent years. But first, no follow-up. Straight into the news. I know, it's, it's a, like this weird, weird shock. The story that Andrew is saying that if you if you stop making something, then production numbers go down, uh, is, is uh, I guess that's kind of accurate, really. Um, the... The number of vehicles, the number of cars, pardon me, not vehicles, it doesn't include truck and van numbers or bus or tractor. The number of cars built in Britain in April 2019 was significantly below, 44.5% below the number constructed in April 2018. That amounts to, in case you're wondering what 44.5% fall looks like that's 56,999 you know could they not have built one fewer and made it a nice round number (laughs) the idea of this of course was originally everyone was having was going to pause production take that annual shutdown instead of being in july or august to move that to to april to try and lessen any impact of a hard brexit yeah that too as the as you know the uk spiraled out of the eu uh, at the end of april uh, that didn't happen in case you haven't noticed and so all of this pause was was all was all in vain and and now there has to be a big decision about whether they repeat the exercise in october and all the attendant cost that goes with it or what the heck people do uh, in in october so that's really what it was. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 not gonna that that whole decision to do it again is not a cheap decision. Oh, it's millions of millions. In each occasion, it's millions of millions. I'm not sure how many of them will still be doing their summer shutdown. You know, whether this was just an additional one or whether it was. The, I think some brought it forward from the summer. Some said we'll have us one in the summer as well. It's this has just been from a financial point of view for the mm-hmm. for the car manufacturers has been quite catastrophic this year this whole oh, yeah, uh, totally. these dates and then the decision to not do it for whatever reason is just another massive financial impact problem here is the uncertainty mm. it would be easier for everybody to make decisions if people decided yes or no we're either going to do it or we're not going to do it do it and if we're going to do it then this is when we're going to do it and, and just actually have some decisiveness instead of the the cluster that has been going on so really the problem here is the problem here is uncertainty rather than rather than certainty. Whichever side of the horrible divide it's caused you're on, then uh, hopefully you can agree that the problem is the uncertainty. Yep, absolutely. So, shall we move on before I go into a great long Brexit yank? Yes, let's let's move on. Let's, let's cheer ourselves up by talking about how stolen vehicle claims has gone up 22% in the first quarter of 2019. <laughs> I'm really sorry, everyone. I've been busy all day in in workshops and, and, and delivering training. So I hadn't really had much of a chance to look through the lineup that somebody had pulled out. He's back and he's miserable. <laughs> <laughs> well, you two were so cheerful last week that I, I have to put we a were. dose of realism back into all this, you know. <laughs> just, just tell us about the stolen cars. 
Yes. So the Association of British Insurers has paid out £108 million in the first quarter of 2019, the Motoring Research article tells us. That's an increase of 22% on the uh, this time last year. And keyless car theft is being blamed for the majority of this rise. Now, we are also given some help on how to prevent that if we happen to have keyless entry. So put them in a metal tin or one of the special wallets that you can buy that block a signal, which I have. Work a treat. I was holding mine. I thought, haha, I'll just check. I needed to get something out of my car and couldn't be bothered taking the key out of its little wallet. And I was I was holding it an inch away from, from the car door and it still wouldn't unlock. Well, so my good. six quid or whatever it was from Amazon one seems to work just fine. No, that's excellent. This article also, which I thought was interesting, goes on to dis- to talk about how, which is obviously a little bit of a, a plug for the tracker company, but saying if they fit additional security measures, they should get financial savings on their premiums, which I thought people did get. Oh, yeah. Like you get a no claims discount. Yeah. Uh, okay. Like that, is it? Right. Okay. <laughs> oh, yes. We'll give you the discount. Yes. I think if I fitted a tracker, it would cost more than the car. It's about 600 quid for a tracker. Okay. Not far off it then. <laughs> That wasn't meant in comparison to the price of your car. It's just generally it's about 600 quid for a tracker. So it, there's a certain amount of amortization needs to go on there. Yeah, because they, they, they talk about the percentage, the high percentage of how many vehicles are actually recovered if they are stolen, uh, which I thought was an interesting thing because, well, you would think would want to encourage us to take steps to prevent the cars being stolen from a financial point of view. If you're the kind of person who would get a tracker fitted, you're probably the kind of person who's very careful about it anyway. Mm. So your car's less likely to get stolen, so there's no financial benefit to them for not... I think that makes sense. For not, mm. you know, giving the, for giving you the discount. I'm not actually certain that made sense, but never mind. We'll believe it did and move on. Okay. Basically, look after your keys, hide them away, put them in something metal whether the pouch mm-hmm. or a tin. Or if you can't do any of those simple things or you think that your vehicle is still very high risk, then, you know, any of these tracking systems may well be a good investment. Yep. Depending on where you live, of course. Parking spaces. Yeah. Now, I can't work out if you put this in because you think this is a good idea, if you put this in because you think it's a terrible idea. But anyway, it's in the, it's in the storyline up anyway. It's uh, from BBC, and it's about UK parking space data being offered to app developers. Now, I haven't quite worked out how they can do this. But from Thursday, so that must be Thursday last week or Thursday this week? The 30th. 30th was Thursday last week, anyway. Um, So from last Thursday, then UK councils can share their parking space data, such as availability, when areas are, are busiest, and all these kind of things. And they can share it in a standardized format. The idea being that this is going to make it easier for people to be able to, to see trends in parking, to actually find parking spaces, depending on the granularity of the data, and potentially allow, allow drivers to find spaces before they leave home, which I don't believe really. Yeah, I don't understand how that's going to work unless there's going to be someone walking around with a reserved sign and dropping yes. it. <laughs> I can't generally work out how they're going to know if a space is full or not. I know that there's some parking 
systems and some of these parking parking apps. I don't have my phone near me, so I can't think of the one I'm thinking of. But it's got a green logo, and I think there's, there's either one or two Ps within it. Or it might just be that I've been watching too much Silicon Valley. But there's definitely one P in it. And, it, it um, and it's the one that you use in Westminster. And you can actually look at the little map there, and it'll tell you how many... It, it can't work out how many vehicles are actually parked there, but it can see... It knows how many paid-for spaces there are within, you know, one of those four-digit codes mm. for if you're parking by text and stuff. Yeah. Or even if you're going up to the machine and you're in that area, then it knows how many spaces there are. It knows how many of them still have parking remaining and paid for, and therefore how many should be free. Yeah. If somebody's illegally parked, then it won't be free. But yeah, should yeah. sorry should be available because none of them will be free. So I don't know if it's working in that kind of basis because you can't for example shove an induction coil under each parking space no although no. some although in some places of course the car parks and less so in the uk you see it's far more in france is where they actually have the little light above the parking space and if it's green there's a parking space there and if All it's right. off okay. then there isn't i don't know if you've ever noticed that in some multi-stories no no it's worth looking in newish multi-story car parks it's worth looking for that by the way in case you, in case you haven't, you, you haven't noticed that kind of So I assume that that's how it can do it, and that's how it can work out where the parking spaces are. So in theory, you could reserve one of those parking spaces from a specific time and start paying for it then, even if that's before you've parked there. The trouble is, how will you then stop someone just turning up to park? Well, I know in a, in our town, there's um, it's you've got to put your registration in now to pay. It's one of those. Oh, that's th- so you those can't meters. hand the ticket off because you're a. That, that's just gittish. That is, and so you, so you can't hand the ticket over. Which okay, fair enough. But I would imagine they could say, "Oh, this registration has asked for this amount of time. We know that parking that car park has twenty three spaces. We've got twenty two done in an hour's time. Mm. It comes free. That may be a way that it happens. But I mm. mean, part of the thing in the uh, BBC News article about this that made me laugh and made us go to mobility bingo, but was the future of mobility minister, Michael Ellis. This is a future of mobility minister. That's so token. Saying this transport revolution will make it, will make for cleaner, cheaper, safer, and more reliable journeys. Oh my gum. Sorry. Give well, uh, there's a lot of, yes, there's a lot of pants in that, isn't there? I mean, really? I know you want to try and make a splash with the press and get quoted, but... Say something worth being quoted on. It's it's the usual it's the usual guff. I I, I am by the way all in favour. I, I like the idea of uh, demand data, uh, even real time demand data being shared. I think that that does help to make informed decisions about parking. The reason I know about it, the reason I discovered about it, it was actually on the few occasions I've gone to street park in London. And it's quite handy that you can say, okay, well, I know that the space is nearby. How busy are they? It was particularly useful when I had the Kona EV in London and I went to Street Charge. Hmm. Actually, I went to Street Park and I discovered that the charger was free and that was even better. Although there was quite an interesting piece of reversing to get from the space I was in to the charger. But it was very useful there because I knew where I was going and I wanted to see what the, the demand was like round about. And, and so I could then make a decision about whether or not that was it was worth taking a chance on parking near that, of on heading towards a particular charger. 
because then I could park nearby and stuff. Yeah. I, I like the idea of, of data helping people make informed choices and decisions and maybe preventing too much congestion in a place or too much, you know, mm -hmm. whatever. The, my problem is if is what data is required to do that, who has it, and to yeah. how much granularity they go in. Because as we know, the more that can be told about us, more important people feel that is and the more that they will try to take advantage of that information. That's my only concern with it. It's probably worth looking up and trying to find out what the parking data format is. I would imagine it's open, openly available. You know, even just a description of the format rather than the information itself. Because it'll be some kind of past uh, XML type setup. Yeah. But yeah, as, as long as it's it's sort of locations and, and demand and, and, and that kind of thing and, and real time or even real-time, then that's pretty cool. If it involves registration plates and stuff, I, I don't think so. But I don't think it's going to. Uh, I don't understand yeah. how it can. Uh, I Well, there's so many cameras about as well. But anyway, we've, we've got into the weeds there. We're trying to work out a system. We've got no idea how it's going to work there. <laughs> exactly. But I know what I'd like to see from it, even in the next little while, without going all, you know, tinfoily. Yeah, 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 I know. I was trying not to. You failed. No, I didn't really. Anyway, moving on to Madrid. Now, this has the potential to this be the first European city to scrap its low emission zone. They had local elections. The, in the local elections, right-wing politicians won, and they partly campaigned on removing the, the low emission zone, which is called Madrid Central, the, the project. There's, there's, it's not just low emission zone. There's other stuff to do with it. This was probably just a small thing. And what they probably mostly campaigned on was getting rid of foreigners or something. Well, yes. It, who, who, who knows what else they... Yeah, it, it will. It's, it's bound to be that. But there's... <laughs> and this is, this is where I was poking... This is from The Guardian, the by the way, folks. Yes, this so. is in The Guardian. Is that nighttime congestion makes the city special. <laughs> <laughs> the Madrid low emission zone has dramatically cut their pollution. Mm -hmm. It has cut the, I'm just going to scroll down to the figures here. It has cut the nitrogen dioxide levels by almost 50% compared to last year. And it's also cut nitrogen oxide down by 38%, CO2 down by 14%, and traffic has dropped by 24%. So it's done what it was meant to do which is improve the air. Yes, but Andrew, 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 congestion is part of the life in Madrid. And the city's nightlife goes hand in hand with traffic jams at 3 a.m. I mean, who cares about the fact that your children can probably breathe? It's all about the nightlife. Yes, I mean, there's only 30,000 Spaniards estimated to die from air pollution a year. Mm. They're, just not, they're just not getting it, are they? <laughs> no, so it's, it's not it's understanding pretty, it's that it's crazy. not about them. It's about the nightlife. <laughs> well, yeah, the, the Ecologists in Action campaign group has pointed out that reversing such a successful project will have severe consequences for public health, particularly for children, pregnant women, and the elderly. Well, the other thing, you know, there's a there's a chance this may not even be able to happen because this was introduced after Spain was threatened with legal action because they weren't doing anything on their air quality directive. And so there's that. Also, they don't control the city council. So they, mm. they've, got to, they've got to get it through the city council, 
And there's obviously going to be legal ramifications and legal wrangling. So it's not going to happen yeah. overnight, for starters. And it, the chances of it happening, I'm not so sure. I'm not sure they're that great. but uh, Much as... I mean, because we never argued with the ULEZ in London. We argued with the way it was implemented, but not yeah. the principle for why. Well, we always make a point at the end of any of these stories saying we're not against clean air, for goodness sakes, no. Mm. Just do it right and don't go rushing into it for political ends. Yep. This seems to be the opposite being rushed into for political ends. Yes. <laughs> And I, I really hope that that, it, that they're forced to keep it in place because those are dramatic drops. That is quite stunning. That is, that is amazing and brilliant to see. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. know how how it was implemented and whether that was met with general crossness through Madrid citizens or whatever. Because you always have to have a certain amount of changes bad in whatever whatever is done. Yeah, we'll we'll see on how that goes because if it, if it happens in one place, there's as the ULEZs were put in sort of one after the other, there's the there's the worry that things swing back the other way and I think that would be a mistake. Maybe tweak the model, tweak the system, yeah. but continue to make clean air or encourage clean air. At least give it a different name. Yes. <laughs> That's a favourite one. <laughs> would you like our Scottish correspondent to tell us about this talking of politics and knee-jerk reactions... <laughs> It's it's a story in the Press and Journal, so the, the basically the, the paper for Aberdeen. It's pointing out that, that a proposal that was put forward by the Green MSP, so member of the Scottish Parliament, a chap called Mark Ruskell, has been rejected by a Scottish Parliament committee. So I think I've actually completely missed out what the proposal was in all that. Well, that, that was wonderfully political, wasn't it? The proposal was to introduce a 20-mile-an-hour speed limit for residential streets and minor roads in Scotland. So last week we talked about them returning French roads to 90 kilometers an hour. And this year they're pointing out that really a one-size-fit... The reason it got rejected by the committee wasn't, we think this is a completely ridiculous suggestion. They actually said, you know, we can see and understand exactly the reasoning behind making this from a safety point of view and a pollution point of view. But a one-size-fits-all approach being proposed is not going to help and it's not going to be effective. No. They're saying there's not in, there's the Northeast uh, MSP Peter Chapman who's on the committee who's saying there's very little demand for more 20 mile an speed limits in our towns and villages and a blanket 20 isn't needed. The bill was about saving lives and making our streets more friendly for walking and cycling all of which are noble aims. However, the vast mon- certainly in Aberdeenshire the vast number of deaths and injuries are on rural roads, not in towns and villages, and that that's where the focus should be instead. Which makes me then think they're going to slap 40 mile an hour on all your rural roads around there because that's what they've done near me. Um, are they? With, Possibly. I think questionable justification for it. Well, there's 50 mile an hour right the way up. There's a 50 mile an hour at Nose. Fifty, yeah, it's fifty, isn't it? Pretty much from Perth to Inverness, mm. on average speed cameras as well, which are particularly evil. Very, very much working. They, they would seem to be working. Yes, it's as good a reason not to drive on there as any. They're even flat straight on at seventy from Dunblane mm. North. That's that's where it actually starts. Thankfully, no blanket twenty mile an hour speed limits for, for Scottish Scottish towns for good reason. Yep, right. Kia Nero's. Yes, the Kia Nero hybrid and plug-in hybrids have been voluntarily 
recalled by Kia worldwide because there is the potential for an electrical relay to overheat. And these are vehicles built between November 2016 and September 2017. Now, they think there's 5,020 vehicles that this covers. In the article here, if you have a car, a Nero of this age, that this story covers, or you know someone who does, pass on the link that will be in the show notes to the auto car because there is a free phone number to, or there is a there is a number, sorry, a customer services department number to contact. It's a free phone number. Or their email address to find out if your if your vehicle is actually involved in this and how that they will go around sorting out and replacing the faulty component. Just on an, on related to that, I spoke to Hyundai today. We all know the manufacturer loves it when I call them. I spoke to Hyundai mm-hmm. today because, as we all know, they are the sister company of Kia. Just to double-check that this doesn't affect any Hyundais and it doesn't, that this is only for the Kia Nero. Right. Good. And then those ones. It only takes about an hour to get fixed. Yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not a long thing. Fab. Brilliant. And th- does, that count as in- does that count as investigative journalism, what you did there? No, no. We'll, we'll just stick no. with consumerism. <laughs> consumer journalism. Oh, okay. Fair. Consumerism, is it? Yeah, consumer journalism. Fair enough. We'll be bringing out the funny coloured vegetables soon. <laughs> I can't remember the name of the show now. Esther Ransom. I know what I mean. Uh, anyway, it is Guilt Minute, that point of the show, where we remind you to consider... Uh, and think about what the motoring podcast is worth to you. If you feel our witterings are worth a small amount of your hard-earned cash, then please do head to motoringpodcast.com. Click on the orange Become a Patron button uh, right there on the front page. Uh, Obviously, if you're already a patron, then thank you very much indeed. Of course, we understand that not everyone has the ability to do this, so please don't forget to like, rate, and leave feedback by the podcast player of your choice. If you've done all of that, then I can't underline your wonderfulness, your wonderfulness, I can't even pronounce it, uh, enough. That's how hard it is for him to say it. <laughs> it really is. But how's about costing a friend? who you think you would enjoy this and tell them all about us. If for some reason you don't actually subscribe to the show, how's about doing so for free using a free podcast player, making sure that we come to you without any anxiety, any worry or the fear of, uh, of missing out on the next news show. If you're not sure what podcast apps work on your particular and favorite uh, mobile platform, then do uh, give us a shout uh, and let us know. Uh, well, give us a shout and let us know. No, give us a shout and ask, and we should be able to provide some kind of help. If you want to be able to link it up so that it plays through your car, then maybe we can help. Maybe one of our other wonderful listeners actually can help instead, because we know that that's happened before, which is absolutely great. Brilliant. Guilt minute. Done. Tick. Don't think it even took a minute. Well done. Let's move on to Formula E, though. Because there is a little bit of news. Well, there is a little bit of news. So testing for Season 6 has already begun, despite the fact that Season 5 hasn't quite finished yet. Uh, Season 5, of course, ends the weekend after next in Bern in Switzerland, which, of course, I managed to miss by two days. uh, Because that's tradition, huh? (laughs) It's true. It's true. If I have time, I might go do a track walk. Or (laughs) it was the track walk. Should be the lamest track. Well, no, it can't be any worse than these people going around Monaco. That's what we'll do. Walk around the people Formula E track. That, 
be very short. People do that. They walk the Formula One track. Oh, okay. Anyway, where was I going with this story? Oh, yeah. So, Neo team have completed their first development test at Mallory Park in Leicestershire. Pretty much all of the teams are taking a day of testing to put miles on their new cars and to work out just how they're going to behave and do some tuning and tweaking before the next season begins in, uh, I want to say December. Yeah, it is December. They're still working out whether it's going to be a a nighttime race yet or not. They haven't worked that out. Yeah. Because the other thing that Neo were doing is they were just checking out the, well, it's basically launching it, but checking out the Mm. chassis. And next month they're going to Spain to do some proper mileage testing in it, some more chunkier things and they've been using according to this article in e-racing 365 our favorite mm-hmm. formula e website uh they've been using their sim one of their simulator drivers to to do this so that's uh that must be quite good fun for the sim driver to be able to mm. to get out on the actual track so well it gives them a good idea of what the differences are i i, I do like the neo color it's it's not silver thankfully or black. Yes. Yeah, well, it is quite dark, though. Um, but have you noticed that there's, there's some of the new teams are really sort of pushing their newness into Formula E? Porsche, in particular, have been putting out a whole series of, of spots and short videos and social media Yeah, they've got, they're, they're, I'm sure they've got an infographic showing how they've developed the car so far and things like that. Yeah, they've got lots of stuff. They're really trying to they, – they seem to be really trying to engage with fans and get people – on Porsche. They do, actually. There's a link. If you follow the link to the eRacing365 story that we're talking about, which will be in the show notes, of course, at motoringpodcast.com, then Porsche have released an infographic of, I can't read it all because the screen's on thing, of Formula E development where it goes through a timeline of, of stuff. And it's it's the first in the series of them. So, so yeah. Well, I think a, a, um, a team like Porsche will be better equipped to adapt to the Formula E style of engagement because of the way the um, world endurance stuff Mm -hmm. works, so that it's very much more the fans meeting the drivers and pit walks and pit lane walks and all this sort of... I know that doesn't happen exactly like that, but it's more that rather than the Formula One where it is you peasanty people need to be all the way over there and you can cheer for us. Thank you very much. What do you mean you're not... Yes, go over there and buy... Just get over there and buy some merchandise, would you? Yes, quite. Yes. <laughs> we shall let you see from a distance. Look at the screens. You're not even allowed to look at the cars. Yeah. <laughs> right, moving on to WRC, because it was Portugal this weekend. And once again, what an attritional race. This is one of the dustiest races of the year, and so it proved. <laughs> There was a marked difference, particularly on uh, day one, of the early cars who were basically doing the clearing of the road compared to those who came later on. Although having said that, and with that in mind, it goes to show how superbly Octanic drove because he Mm -hmm. was first or second on day one most of the time. Constantly. And he was clearing the road as well. So goodness knows what he would have done if it had been clear, if he'd been one of the later drivers as well. But it, the end result was that Ottanic won. So that's mm-hmm. two in two. Nouveau was second. And Ogier inherited third because Chris Meek retired on the final stage. That man cannot... Get a break. At the minute. He's just so 
unlucky. In the first on the first day, his comms went out, so they were doing it through hand signals, and there was quite a few of the of the highlights I've seen. I've seen a day and a half of the highlights now on Red Bull TV, which as ever is excellent, and they give you a lot of in depth stuff as well, additional to you just watching the, the superb coverage they've got for the racing as well. Mm. But there was a lot of times when people are interviewed as they pull up to the timing zone to get their book stamped or whatever it is, that many words have been bleeped out, but from many drivers because they were not happy. Oh, <laughs> it wow. was, this was happening a lot. And that that's quite unusual. Usually the drivers just don't say anything. Mm-hmm. And the people who are there, I feel sorry for them because it uh, that's got to be one of the hardest jobs in sport is, so how do you yeah. feel? <laughs> so how do you feel when you're absolutely and totally psyched? Yeah, yeah. You know, this thing has gone superbly well or badly for you. How do you feel? Yes. <laughs> what do you expect? <laughs> for sure. Um, but <laughs> so so Meek was 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 bleeped. There was punctures all over the place. I mean, Hyundai had a dreadful weekend, really. Nouveau came in second, but Sordo was in the lead when he got a fuel pump problem. Who else got a fuel pump problem from them? It was uh, Mickelson. And lower, and what the fuel pump problem was that didn't hit Nouveau, thankfully, is that the car thought there was a sensor in there that thought the car was upside down, so it reduced flow of fuel oh. to prevent it all catching on fire. And they weren't upside down, so there was obvious frustration and disappointment in yes. amongst the drivers at that. Uh, again, Sordo bleeped as he was not happy for the in-car video when his thing conked out again. Whoops. That's just unfortunate technical things. Mm-hmm. Who else had... Elvin Evans had a problem with his accelerator cable. Uh, it was, just, you know, one after another. These, But that's what rallying's all about. Sorry. I know, but do you remember Sorry being to interrupt this your tales of woe. I mean, I know people would spin off and have punctures and well, things, but... Well, people were more likely to crash and die, to be perfectly honest. So now it's only, well, there, it's, there now it's only that, attrition. Yeah. I suppose there is. Yeah. There is quite so now that. there's attrition, not because people are dying, but because their cars are rolling over and need kind of taped back together again. Mm. But there was a there was there was a little bit of. Um, I don't care. I'm tactics. happy because Toyota won. Well, yes, oh, was I, I know you were. I know you would be, and in, maybe you get one of those fins at the end of the year if they win all if they win the championship. Ah, I wish. <laughs> So if anybody's thinking of a Christmas present for Alan, <laughs> they want to get it. I've got my little Toyota Gazoo Racing notepad and pen here. <laughs> I've got two. Drink. This is the one that gets used, and the other one is is, is kept for good in the box of Gazoo goodies. <laughs> but there was some questioning of tactics by Hyundai, because on the Saturday, with Loeb and Sordo out... They were, it is alleged, they were asked to turn up late to the timings so they could sandwich Ogier between them and slow him down and not clear the the track as well as as it Mm. could have done. Um, One of the accusations, this is from Ogier, is that Sordo was asked to stop on the stage, which would have slowed Ogier down. But Sordo apparently said, no, he wouldn't do this. But the the head of, uh, what's his name, Adamo, uh, who's in charge of Hyundai WRC, said he would not bother to, and I, I want to get the quote perfectly right here, uh, he said he would not comment on such, quote, low-level accusations, end quote. 
Oh, Considering his his standard look seems to be quite angry, I wouldn't like to yes. be around if I'd accused him of nefarious deeds. <laughs> There's been a bit of uh, pushing the le- the rule book to the limits mm-hmm. is is what's being done uh, with this. So it'd be interesting to see if that continues to spill on or whether people are taken to one side and say, just let it go now. Yeah, let's go on with the next one. You're in, you know, Ogier, you are two points ahead at the front of the championship, two ahead of Tannic and ten ahead of Nouveau. Just, let's just go with it. Good. Designer's mood board now. And it's a bit of a shock. Well, yes, but Ian Callum is, look, Ian Callum is not dead. All right? I know it looks like it from Twitter. He's not. He's retiring after 20 years as director of design at Jaguar. Uh, He's not retiring. He's not even retiring. He's retiring he's from Jaguar. He's leaving his role. He is leaving. Shush. But, well, yes. So he's not even that. He is He's going to pursue other design projects. As I say, he is not dead. Yes, but for how many of us, though, has has he been Jaguar? Considering how Quite long he's been at Jaguar and, and the, the transformation of Jaguar in that time, how many of yeah. us has he been the recognizable face of Jaguar? Quite, Quite a lot, yes. Yeah, yeah, I, I, think, I, I think that's I'm not where dis- it, it, it I'm not comes dissing from. or dimming that down in any way, shape, or form. It's just... We've had nothing to get hysterical about on the internet for at least 20 minutes. Give us this, Alan. Don't take this away from us. No, no, I'm sick of, sick of it. All of you. All of you. <laughs> so, yeah, he's being replaced by current creative design director and uh, also very pleasant chap, Julian Thompson. He's going to go on, keep on working with Jaguar as a design consultant or sort of figurehead by the sounds of it. That does actually help clear up certainly my confusion that there were three very senior designers at the top of, of, of JLR. There was, you know, the delightful Ian Callum. There was Jerry McGovern and the also very pleasant Julian Thompson. And And so I couldn't quite work out how... And who was who was hired by by Ian Callum fitted into all of this, mm. so I'm I'm very pleased that that's what's happening and there's not you know other potential reshuffles going on and more Chanel handbags appearing all over the shop. So it's genius. I mean, uh, prior to Jaguar, then of course he worked at, at Ford. Uh, I've just read the wrong person's resume, haven't I? Ian Callum prior to Jaguar was at Aston Martin. And uh, he was Ford before then. He was at Tom Walkinshaw Design, which is where the first, where he was partly responsible for the DB7. So that's how he got that Aston Martin link. Uh, and before that, he was he was at, at Ford. Julian Thompson, of course, worked at Ford. Before that, was head of design at Lotus. Uh, and before that, was uh, chief of exteriors for Volkswagen Group's Concept Design Center. And before that, he was at Lotus then as well. Uh, and he designed the inter- he was credited with the interior of first time I heard of him he was credited with the interior of the uh, front wheel drive Elan the M one eleven is it of the front wheel drive Elan and then of course the exterior of the Elise in in his his next stint there as well so I'd say Jaguar is in pretty good hands yeah I think so. All of that. I think so. I don't think even the designers can get grumpy about that particular appointment. They'll try. They will. The ones we know will anyway. Yes. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, now, now uh, Ian's, Ian's got all this free time in his hands. I wonder if he will come on rear view. You could always ask. I'll have to, I'll have to ask him. Go on, then. There you. Big dog. Oh, he's on the list. He's well, he on, the on the list. list. The of course he's on the list. <laughs> Goodness sake. He might at some point actually be asked. Yes. I don't, I don't believe you will. Okay, we'll see. Good. Excellent. Anyway, tell us about overlanding. Yeah, um, there was this. I just stumbled across it on the BBC. I thought it was this rather interesting. <laughs> Only uh, ten years too late, BBC. Well done. Yes. Well, twenty years. Yes, there, there is a little bit of this, and it, it it also gives the impression that people have only just rediscovered overlanding. When I would strongly suggest no one had forgotten about it that was interested in it. Yeah, it's just it maybe yes, has agreed. opened up to to people again and now Instagram is there that it's become quite an you know quite a interesting way for people to travel around things and it this is our lunchtime read you see where you pitched your tent on a rock beside the water yeah yeah exactly sorry it's like these people who go off I don't know to Canada and cycle across it things like that you yeah know, just showing off yeah, yeah that yeah, kind just, of stuff all just right. just to get the likes that's all it is I don't know anyone like that no, we don't know anyone like that at all. Yeah, quite. <laughs> this is just—it's just an—it's just a nice article in the in the world where there's enough dreadfulness to read. It's just a nice article, and didn't in any way mean that I lost three or four hours researching things on eBay and other overlanding sites and <laughs> galleries. There is quite a. There is quite a lot of all-wheel drive truck porn involved in this, in yes. the pictures that go along with this, by There the way. is some awesome stuff to have a look at. But I just think it's a, it just, it's a lovely idea that obviously has no chance of fitting into my life, but I would, I would love the opportunity to do this at, at some point. Well, you know, sell the children. children. You sorted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How big are the toilet facilities on one of these? How many? <laughs> <laughs> right, we're in the middle of nowhere. I'll just leave them. <laughs> leave them. <laughs> no, no, it's just over there. Yes. Hobble off that way. Yeah. Uh, I do thoroughly encourage you to read that and then go off and find as many overlanding and draft up your own ideal overlanding vehicle. Mine only has the 27 mm -hmm. wheels at the moment, and I only need to go and get qualified and maybe one or two other licenses. <laughs> the one, the, the second last picture in this with that, that MAN just looks wonderful. Mm -hmm. I have no idea about the rest of it, but it just looks wonderful. Remember, it's classed as a, as a mobile, as a mobile home a camper van. So it's, uh, I don't know quite what the, if, if that's what it fits into, and, and therefore it fits onto a seven and a half ton license. Oh, maybe okay. So it might be possible. You need need to look at the platings and stuff on those. Yeah. Oh, no, it might no, be easier no. than you think. I'm now going to go away again after. <laughs> right. In the meantime, right. Right. Anyway, you you move us on to the list of the week that you found, which was. Well, she was doing eye opening, that, yeah. frankly. Well, it's really well. It's, I thought it was quite good because there was loads of stuff I didn't know on this one, and I don't want to sound too big-headed in that one. But, you know, I'm a little bit of a nerd when it comes to this stuff, although oh, not yeah. nearly as much as many people on Twitter. Um, Get away. Uh, 
Great piece for Goodwood. Just, just, I'm moving on. Great piece on Goodwood Road and Racing. The strangest car rebadging jobs ever. Which is a really cool list and well worth you going and having a click to find out what an Innocenti Regent is, for example. Or a Subaru Travic. Yeah, that or one a Volkswagen blew my mind, 1500. Uh, that one got me, yeah. Or the VW 1500. Yeah. Or some versions of the Holden Astra. Mm. You know, some actually were an Astra, but others uh, weren't. So go take a take a little bit of a look at this piece by by Gary Axon. It starts off with a Honda Crossroad, which is quite a famous piece of odd badge engineering. Yes. Go take a look. It's a really really good little list, and well up the nerd stakes. A Dodge Circuit is one that I'd never even thought of. Yeah. I didn't even think it actually existed, but there we go. No, I'd not heard of it. So, yeah. <laughs> so let's go for the and finally, which you found. Yes, it was, it was, somebody tweeted it, and I am so sorry. I didn't make a note of who tweeted it. So if you were the person who tweeted it, I am crediting you, even though I'm not crediting you. <laughs> Because I can't remember who it is. But this is the website carcolors.co.uk. And you can now search for a manufacturer and the model to find out how many were sold in a particular colour. But this is a ridiculous list. Sorry. This is this is crazy. This is even this is the manufacturer's list includes Alexander Dennis. It's wonderful. It's, oh, it's, so hang, such hang on, a, let, it's such a clean website as well. Oh, it's totally, totally crud-free. So what's a good one? Let's find an example, shall we? Let's go for... Uh, uh, um, hmm. I can't well, there's find John something Deere, there. Well, that's going to be green, isn't it? That yes, really you would hope there. so. Yes, you would. Uh, let's have a... Well, let's see the Hyundai i30N. How many... How many were sold? ones are out. Okay, that's yeah. just, okay. Let's let's try that. So let's. Uh, that's quite a good one actually. Hyundai. Click. Scroll, scroll, scroll. I X thirty five. No Kona. I ten. I twenty. Oh, so many. I twenty. I thirty N. Ah, now you see it goes a bit detailed here because. Because oh, then there's the I thirty N line plus nav N. In performance. Let's go performance let's, T G D I. Well let's just go I thirty N first okay. and let's see if that gathers everything together. Because if you can get it in blue Yeah. Wow. That can't be right. That's amazing. According so to just the graph, there is more grey almost than double blue. the grey to the blue, the baby blue. And then it's red, followed by black and white. Those, those numbers are very not where I would expect them to be. Maybe that is just one specific model. I suppose it depends what people have put on the V5. Yes. Doesn't it? Because if it's actually put it down, N performance or NTGDI, you'd have to, to yeah, add if you do all the of N them together. Look, there's 500 odd as the blue. Yeah, that's more like it, because they were yeah. aiming for a 1,000 a year, and I was looking at that and going, that's not right. Mm. Those numbers don't add up. That barely adds up to the press fleet. So if we go to N Performance TGDI, yeah, 500 blues and then 344 greys, 130 whites, 107 blacks. The black what, is, is the very one? under the uh, the white. Awful. Don't, don't buy white people. 
the the black is very under the radar. I mean, I said that at the time. The red is nice, and only eighty three of them. And the red is a really nice yeah, red. It particularly suits the fastback, but uh, maybe listen to because you get that little black lip on the back, little yes. duck tail. It's lovely. It's so cute. Anyway, <clears throat> we shall yes. infuse about that soon. Yes, we will. But anyway, click through on the show notes and lose many hours. Oh, lots of time. <laughs> it, it is a lovely website, and uh, I think they have a. A Twitter handle as well, because I think I just got followed by them this evening. Really? So, yes. Let me just find it. Yes, uh, at car underscore colours. And that's spelt in the British and correct in the proper way. spelling yes. of bro- in, brothers. In, in the, in the way it should be spelled, yes. Toyota Yaris. P-Q-R Yaris. Oh, go. So many design GLS groom. No, no, no. That's curious. 94. There we go. That's how many there are on the roads, folks. 94, all in white. God. That's not a surprise. Yeah. So, yes, enjoy that website. Mm, yes, I will do. Right, should we wrap up the show, Alan, before you you go down that rabbit hole? Uh, no, no, this is too interesting. Uh, it's not for Paris people notes. listening, it's not. <laughs> oh, right, oh, sorry. It's really interesting to me. It's, it's uh, <laughs> Right, before we round up, Parish Notes, review out on Friday? It should be, it recorded. I spoke to someone today. It went well. Okay, so the health... Unless there's another catastrophic health issue in my family, which, let's be fair, there's a more than 50% it's quite chance possible. of that. <laughs> in the last three weeks, uh, then uh, all fingers and toes crossed, yes, there will be a rear view out this Friday. Okay, cool. Well, if I get another text from A&E, then I'll, I'll know that there probably won't be. Maybe I can hook into the hospital Wi-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't care if you're going for an MRI scan. Do it yourself. I've got a podcast to edit. Moving on from that, uh, that would be great because you were giving me uh, unusually. We were giving a, we were having a bit of a chat, and and I was actually getting a bit of a preview of of what was coming up. So it, it sounds like it's going to be an absolute cracker. Uh, so that should be good. That's about it. Nothing coming from me. I've got some other stuff. We were discussing our various little bits of workload earlier on that we've got to do so we can get some some fun special editions out yep which pretty much rounds us up and means that it's time for me to remind you or to remind you not to forget that between now and next week you can give us any feedback share your thoughts for the show at motoring podcast on twitter uh, and on Instagram, uh, on Facebook, on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, where loads of people and entities are getting in touch with us, which is the hub of all of our activities. Uh, please don't forget about our Patreon, available at motoringpodcast.com slash support. And please, please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. It really does matter. Andrew, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you will find me there. And Alan, if people want to get in touch with you personally, what is the best way for them to do that? The Twitters are fantastic for that. Uh, where I'm at AJP Bradley, B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. We'll be back next week. But until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. 
and safe motoring.